Welcome to the American Experiment podcast. Today I am with Katrin Wigfall, our policy fellow in education, and we're going to be talking about some of the battles currently raging over education in Minnesota, in particular with regard to the social studies standards, which the Walls administration is trying to get adopted. Catcher, let's start with a little bit of history. You've been fighting this battle for a while. How did this all get started? Well, American Experiment was the one to largely draw attention to this back in 2020. So under state statute, Minnesota's K-12 academic standards are revised on a 10-year cycle. And starting in 2020, the social studies standards revision process began. And there was a first draft that the Department of Education released uh, December of 2020 that we called attention to and said, hey, wait a minute, this content is being uh, reviewed and revised, and it's going to, based on the first draft and as we saw in subsequent drafts, take K-12 education in a wrong direction when it comes to social studies education. So part of the background on this is that before 2020 and up until now, Minnesota actually had good social studies standards, including good standards relating to American history, right? Yes. So starting in 2003 is when the first draft of social studies standards were passed, and those were excellent. <laughs> they included U.S. history, world history, geography, economics, uh, included foundational knowledge and content that students should learn. The 2011 version uh, remained fairly good and, and decent as far as teaching uh, history, uh, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And then this new version is really taking the study of social studies in a completely new direction. So, so among other things, it was taking it in the direction of critical race theory, and you exposed that back in 2020 and 2021. And then in the summer of 2021, we did the massive 23-city anti-critical race theory tour, which you starred in uh, one, one city after another, and brought attention to some of these just really terrible aspects of the social studies standards that at that time were in draft four. And we got, I don't know how many thousands of Minnesotans. Do you remember the number? Well over 30,000, and and that was key, is that it wasn't just us weighing in and calling attention to these standards and benchmarks. It was Minnesotans reading them and saying, wait a minute, why is this going to be prioritized in classrooms? Why is this the lens through which students will be taught to view themselves in society? So they weighed in. The Department of Ed claimed to have listened and, and claimed to have revised the standards accordingly, but now we have, after 22 months of waiting, a statement of need and reasonableness that the Department of Ed recently released trying to justify these changes to the administrative law judge and to Minnesotans. So, so as you said, Katrin, an American Experiment, using our web page, which we call Raise Our Standards, right? Uh, we got more than 30,000 Minnesotans to make comments on these proposed standards using that web page, Raise Our, Raise Our Standards. And it did have some impact. I mean, I think one thing, you correct me if I'm wrong, Katrin, but as I recall, one thing that happened is that in subsequent drafts, they did take out the references to white privilege. Am I saying that right? Yes, yes. So there were some word changes within the benchmarks that were positive. There were also some other changes that included a little bit more of that foundational knowledge we would hope to see in social studies. So there were some tweaks and, and that sort of thing. But still, again, as I mentioned, the lens through which this document is framed 
is very much rooted in critical social justice ideology and identi identity politics and this push to, to really teach students to view themselves and society through a limited lens based on group identity. And, and one of the weird things about this, you know, I looked at that statement of need and reasonableness, and this is something that the Department of Education files to trigger the administrative process, right? Correct. And in the administrative process, an administrative law judge will now evaluate the statement of need and, and reasonableness and, and either approve or disapprove uh, these standards. It's kind of the final, the final act in the, in the drama, so to speak, right? Yes, it's interesting because the standards themselves go through rulemaking, and that's what the ALJ will focus on. But then you have tons of other pages of benchmarks that mm -hmm. go along with okay. these standards that the Commissioner of Education essentially has authority over creating and writing and reviewing, and nobody has to sign off on them. And so it's, it's a very interesting process because the Department of Ed is adamant that just the standards are going through rulemaking. And we're in a public comment period now where you just focus your comments on the standards themselves. And yet school districts will receive these standards with corresponding benchmarks. And the benchmarks very much show how politicized the, the Department of Ed wants the standards to be. So when we talk about benchmarks, there'll be a particular standard, right? And then there'll be a benchmark for each grade. So here's kindergarten, right? Here's the benchmark for that standard for that year. And then in first grade, there's another benchmark and second, et cetera. Is that? Yes, up to uh, eighth grade. So K through eight have their own. And then ninth through 12th grade is lumped together as high school standards. So those standards and benchmarks gotcha. just have to be taught at some point throughout a student's four-year uh, gotcha. high school journey. And, and theoretically, these standards and benchmarks uh, dictate what kids K through 12 in the state of Minnesota are going to be taught about social studies. That's, yes, that's the yes. Idea. And Social studies encompasses uh, geography, economics, government and citizenship, U.S. history and world history. And then the Department of Ed added a fifth strand, ethnic studies, even before the legislature took on ethnic studies this past session. Okay, so that's we're going to get to that in just a moment. But I want to focus for a moment first on the statement of need and reasonableness, which I thought was remarkable because one of the things that it says is the problem with the old standards is that they focused on content, actual knowledge of facts. And they say in this draft of the standards, we're getting away from that. We're getting away from content. And instead, we're going to focus on, I don't know what, Marxist ideology? I mean, you know, what's the alternative to content? They Yes, how they frame it is it's a bit of a head scratcher because they, they do. They say that the, 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 the statement of need and reasonableness for moving U.S. history standards, for example, away from their current version is because the current version focuses on content content and they want to instead focus on historical thinking and literacy skills. There's a lot of problems with that obviously because you students need foundational knowledge before they can move on to critically think through what happened in history, the good, the yeah, bad, and the ugly. Your, your critical but, thoughts don't have any value if you don't know any facts. Exactly. If it you don't has know, to be rooted in something. If, if, if you don't know what century the Civil War took place in, your opinions about the Civil War are really not going to be very valid, right? So largely, instead of having students start with that, with that foundational knowledge of content, and then move forward to critically think through our history, 
they're starting with conclusions and yeah. that is no way to teach social studies content. Well, and the conclusions are the basic, uh, you know, neo-Marxist, uh, uh, everything is oppressive, right? The world is divided into oppressors and oppressed and we all know who the oppressors are and, and who supposedly is being oppressed. And so everything gets seen through that lens of identity politics. Speaking of identity politics, then you mentioned a, a couple of minutes ago, Katrin, that we've also got this new ethnic studies uh, idea, which originally was brought in as an additional uh, strand in the in the standards and benchmarks, maybe illegally. It's not one of the things the legislature had itemized, right? But now, in any event, that's probably moot because in the last session, the legislature passed a law mandating uh, ethnic studies uh, be introduced into the curricula of K through 12 education. And, you know, we had, we had some kind of ethnic studies when I was a kid. You know, I can remember in elementary school, uh, we, we studied other countries. And I remember being particularly interested in studying Norway, Norwegian culture, because my ancestors came from Norway, you know, and, and we, studied, we studied various countries. And I think most people, when they hear that, oh, they're going to now introduce a whole ethnic studies curriculum into our schools, assume that that means, oh, we're going to learn about other countries, other cultures, you know, Asia and Africa, Latin America, Europe. That sounds nice. But in fact, that's not what we're talking about at all. Correct. Yes. So the assumption is ethnic studies under more familiar terms does include looking at various groups of people and their cultures, their backgrounds, their contributions to Minnesota and our country. Uh, unfortunately, those familiar terms have been hijacked in a sense to represent a version of ethnic studies rooted in critical social justice ideology. This is a liberated form of ethnic studies that does not mean simply having students see themselves in curriculum or simply studying, as you mentioned, cultures and contributions of people groups, which I think hardly anybody would disagree is important. And this version of ethnic studies really focuses on you know, emphasizing race, power, uh, resistance is in the ethnic studies standards, uh, and activism as the primary approaches to understanding culture and society. And that is a very limiting lens through which students are going to be taught to view themselves in society. And, and frankly, it undermines who we are as a multi-ethnic society and our shared common humanity. Yeah, so basically the idea of ethnic studies is to attack white people, right? To attack the United States of America, to attack uh, colonialism and, 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 and so forth. And instead, to divide students according to race and ethnicity and really to train them up as social justice warriors. Is that, is that fair? Is that overstate the case? No, activism is a very large part of the ethnic studies standards and how they're framed. And in fact, one of the standards says that, that students, and I'm going to summarize, but that students have to come up with a way to you know, eliminate historical and contemporary injustices. They have to apply lessons from the past in order to eliminate historical and contemporary injustices. First of all, how do you assess whether a student has adequately done that? And what a broad ask to place that on what, a students fourth grader? In, <laughs> in high school. And so there are, there's a lot of concerning components within the ethnic studies standards. And we're concerned also with how those standards will be implemented. We just have to look at the St. Paul School District, who has a critical ethnic studies course as a graduation requirement. 
And the framework of that course, the content that they're requiring students to demonstrate, is exactly the type of ethnic studies that the legislature just now put into law. And it's concerning. <laughs> I mean, the I'll just read here so I get it correct, but the the course wants students to quote build a uh, end of quote race and ethnicity based quote narrative of transformative resistance to challenge and expose systems of inequality and to resist all systems of oppressive power rooted in racism through collective action and change. So again, it's a course that's heavily focused on race consciousness, identity politics, and this is not the type of education that brought in students' understanding of important contributions that have been made and that sort of thing. It, it, and it really undermines efforts that should be in place to advance a, a truly inclusive ethnic studies that avoids that zero-sum mindset, that limiting lens of oppressor versus oppressed and uh, and one that would reject the concept of group identity. Well, this gives us some insight, too. And they say we want to get away from content, right, <laughs> and focus on other things. What are those other things? Well, those other things are left wing ideology in the forms that we've all we've all come to be familiar with. So part of the context of what's going on here, Katrin, is the fact that you've written about um, many, many times and these are my words, not yours, but the fact is that Minnesota's public schools are terrible. They're absolutely awful. They're doing a horrible job of educating our young people, and you've assembled all the, all the data on that. The, I like to let the data speak for itself, definitely, and what it shows is the public system in our state has clear shortcomings, and we cannot continue on this path because I think of all of the students who have already been left behind. They finished their K-12 journey without basic literacy and numeracy skills, and I think of the next generation now who not only won't have that skills, but will have a, a frame of how to view society and themselves that I think does not set us up for success and and does not help prepare us to move forward and address some of these real challenges we still face as a society. So one of the things you've written about recently, Katrin, is that we're now at a point where more than half of all of the public school kids in Minnesota, K through 12, can neither read nor do math at grade level. So we're not talking about a minority of kids. We're not talking about a few inner city kids. We're talking about all the kids across the state of Minnesota. More than half of them can't read at grade level and can't do math at grade level. It's absolutely terrible. And something has to be done. And we need to take this seriously. I, I mean, it's, it's, it's a reflection on poor decisions by state leaders. It's a reflection on the prioritization of wrong things in K-12 education, and students are paying the price. And it's going to impact not only their personal lives, but also their ability to uh, engage in society as informed and responsible citizens, their workforce participation. So the ramifications are huge, and we must do something. And I just fear that without real change outside of, you know, well, we just need more money, we're going to continue down this path, and it's going to have dramatic consequences for our students, our future leaders, and our state as a whole. So, Kasia, let's talk about what people can do. Because, you know, when, when we did that uh, anti-critical race theory tour in the summer of 2021, in which you were the principal speaker, one of the things we found is that the crowds that, that, that we drew, the question everybody had is, what can I do? You know, they wanted to get involved. They wanted to get active. 
So, so Catcher, let's talk about that. Um, what can people do uh, to fight back against what we're seeing with these standards and the, and the current rulemaking procedure? I'm glad you asked because there are actually several different ways that parents, community members can get involved to say, hey, wait a minute, the direction of K-12 public education is not going in the right direction and we need to change that. And so one of the key ways to get involved is to exercise your right as a parent to review instructional materials. So Minnesota actually has a state law, 120B.20, called Parental Curriculum Review. And it states that school districts have to have a procedure in place for a parent or guardian to review the instructional materials given to students. And if the parents object to the content, the parents can request alternative instructional materials. And then if those still don't address the concerns of parents, parents can offer up uh, their own alternative instructional materials. And students can't be penalized for participating or receiving those alternative materials. So it's just a great way to create more transparency around uh, what's being taught in the classrooms. And parents need to know that they can exercise that right. Additionally, parents and community members can weigh in on the selection of instructional materials, the instruction uh, overall, and then curriculum affecting both state and district academic standards by asking their school board about the uh, advisory committee within each district. There's also state law that says whenever possible, parents and other community residents must comprise at least two-thirds of committee members. All right. So, so under state law, there's supposed to be a curriculum committee, right? And it's supposed to consist primarily of parents. So there, there are very simple and effective things that parents can do to get involved and have some oversight over what their kids are being taught. Absolutely. And paired with parents is the importance of school board members. School boards in Minnesota have authority to select instructional materials and curricula. The Department of Ed does not say you have to use this textbook or these materials. They oftentimes will recommend materials, but it's very important for districts and school boards to know that you have the authority to make that final decision. And that with the pair that with the district advisory committee, that's an opportunity for parents to weigh in and say, well, have we thought about this textbook or uh, this curriculum? So a lot of great ways to retain that that local control and, and have a say. And it's important that parents get involved and and act. act in now, how about ways. how about the, this new set of standards that have worked their way through the process? We you've been fighting them since December of 2020. Uh, now they're they're in the legal process, really, in front of an administrative law judge. What can parents or anybody, citizens, do to register their concerns about the wrong direction that these standards are taking? Well, the first step is to go to AmericanExperiment.org and read the post that I wrote called Tell It to the Judge, Raise Our Standards. That details out key ways that Minnesotans can weigh in. The first is to send an email or mail the agency contact person for the Department of Ed, Catherine Rogers, and request a public hearing. If the agency receives 25 requests and I lay out what you have to include in order for it to be a valid request, then the administrative law judge will hold two days of public hearing. And this is another opportunity for Minnesotans to weigh in and make the case before the administrative law judge that, hey, there are some procedural uh, discrepancies with these standards and the ALJ should consider that 
before he puts his stamp of approval on them. So first request a public hearing. And what's the deadline for making that request? October 25th. Okay. It doesn't take very many people, only 25, but it's a short deadline too. Correct. So let's make sure we get that done. So paired with that, there's also the same deadline, October 25th. I believe it's at 4.30 p.m. I lay that out in my article on our website. Minnesotans can submit comments to the Office of Administrative Hearings, and that will go before the ALJ, and he will review those comments as he considers the Department of Ed's statement of need and reasonableness and, and whether or not these standards uh, fit the, the criteria to be passed. And so Minnesotans can submit comments there, and American Experiment encourages those comments uh, to really focus on, as I mentioned, any procedural inconsistencies, uh, the statutory requirements for revising academic standards. I lay that on the article as well. So, for example, state law says that academic standards have to be clear, concise, objective, measurable, and grade level appropriate. Well, there are several examples of where the standards uh, American Experiment believes don't fit that uh, those those criteria. So, you can uh, focus your comments on that and submit those to the ALJ, and it's and, and just another way done, to weigh in. Can that be done directly from the AmericanExperiment.org website? Yes, we have on our Raise Our Standards MN.com page a link to the OAH website where you can, you have to create an account in order to submit your comments, uh, but you can get to where you need to by visiting that page. You can get the template to send to the Department of Ed to request the public hearing. And then you can also get a quick refresher on, well, what have the standards and benchmarks included in their various drafts, if you haven't kept up with us over the years uh, as we covered that, and, and find other resources as well. Great. So, so as I understand the process here, the administrative law judge is not asked the question, are these standards a good idea? Correct. Uh, the Department of Education is supposed to be <laughs> answering that question. The AL judge can't revisit, revisit it and say, well, I think these standards are really stupid. You know, it's dumb to move away from content and replace content with Marxist indoctrination. But that's not the question he gets asked, right? What he's reviewing the standards for is the process mm -hmm. and, and whether the process has complied and the statement of need and reasonableness complies with the statutory requirements, right? Correct. And, and, and so this becomes a legal argument, and ultimately it's a legal argument that may be taken into the courts. But, but in the meantime, let's talk about it just a little bit. Um, you know, one of, the, one of the statutory requirements is that standards have to be objective and measurable, right? Correct. So, so if you're testing on the Civil War and, and you ask a question, uh, in what year did the Civil War begin? And the kid answers 1861. He got that right. Okay, it's objective. The Civil War did not begin in 1482, and it did not begin in, in 2016. And so that's objective, and it's measurable, and you can see how many kids got the answer to that question right. If, if, if the question that the kid has asked is, uh, what are some ways in which white oppression can be overcome well, it's very hard to say uh, whether the student got the answer to that question right or wrong. It's not objective and it's not measurable, right? Right. And, and you see that within the standards that MDE and its sonar, you know, hints at the fact that social studies should be about a student's individual journey and, and coming to a, uh, you know, a conclusion within that student's kind of framework and that sort of thing. 
But if you don't have a similar answer that students should all arrive at, or at least, you know, think through, then how do you measure that? And so there are examples that can be pointed out to the ALJ uh, of where, hey, wait a minute, you know, what does this mean for teachers? How are teachers going to interpret and apply these standards in order to assess them? So that's what we want the comments to focus on. I list a couple of examples in my article on our website that you can reference in your comments to the ALJ, but in order for those comments to really be valid or considered, they have to focus on those statutory requirements. Well, Katrin, you have been fighting this fight for, what, uh, going on three years now, almost three years, and uh, along with other fights, this isn't the only one, right? But you have definitely been the, the number one person in the state of Minnesota standing up for our kids, standing up for students, standing up for sensible education that actually teaches kids facts instead of uh, Marxist uh, dogmas and trying to reverse this really catastrophic decline in student performance that we have seen in Minnesota in recent years. So congratulations for that. Keep up the good fight. And to everybody watching or listening to this podcast, please do get involved. As Katrin says, there are some very practical ways that you can get involved uh, on the specific issue of these standards and the current legal process, and also on the broader issue of trying to salvage uh, Minnesota's public schools. Definitely. The fight continues, and we need all Minnesotans to be a part of that. Great. Thank you very much. Thanks, John.